Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, bringing you part two of a Choir Ninja Rewind with Gabriel Crouch. Part one is episode 105, which was released a couple days ago. So if you have not heard that one, I would go back and listen to that one first and then continue on to this episode. Just so you know, if we do decide to do a Choir Ninja Rewind in the future, I will let you know just like today at the very beginning of the podcast. That way, if you have heard it before, you don't have to sit through the introductory material in order to figure that out. I hope you enjoy part two with Gabriel Crouch. Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming a Choir Ninja. Today's episode is brought to you by SightReadingFactory.com. Do you hate teaching sight singing? Do you have a carbon footprint the size of Sasquatch because you run off endless sheets of sight singing examples only to hear your students groan in agony when it's time to sight sing in rehearsal? SightReadingFactory.com is a web-based tool that will compose custom sight reading examples based on specifications that you choose. Your choir will actually enjoy sight singing, and so will you. Plus, you will get back hours of your life and finally feel like the choir ninja you were destined to be. If that isn't cool enough, you can add student accounts that link directly to your teacher dashboard so your kids can practice or even take recorded assessments from home. As a sponsor of this show, SightReadingFactory.com has an exclusive deal just for you, Choir Nation. When you purchase their insanely affordable one-year subscription, you will unlock 10 free student accounts just for using the promo code NINJA at checkout. That's Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. So head over to SightReadingFactory.com. That's SightReadingFactory.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Ninja at checkout to unlock your 10 student accounts absolutely free. What's the best part about being a ninja? The gear. It's the nunchucks, the katanas, the throwing stars. It's the same for choir ninjas. The difference between an ordinary and a masterful performance may come down to your most basic and essential piece of equipment, your music folder. My Music Folders creates a superior product, and they do it with a smile. And because they are friends of the podcast, they have a killer deal for you right now. Get the bulk purchase price break without having to buy in bulk. So whether you have to restock your entire classroom or you just need to replace a few folders, you will get the best possible pricing on the best possible product. So like a ninja, sneak on over to MyMusicFolders.com and use the code NINJA when you check out. Hey, hey, Choir Nation, this is Ryan Guth. I am back with part two of my interview with Gabriel Crouch, former King Singer and Director of Choral Activities at Princeton University. At the end of the last episode, I had just posed the question to Gabriel, what did your childhood smell like? I hope that you were hypothesizing this past week as to what Gabriel's childhood smelled like. And I have to say... I had a much different thought than what Gabriel's real answer was. So 
let us jump back into the interview with Gabriel Crouch. Oh, and before we jump in, there's a very long pause after I pose this question where Gabriel is really, really thinking deeply about the answer. So don't think that the track is broken. It's just a lot of silence. Let's jump back in. Is what did your childhood smell like? I see a grin. There is a grin under there. Well, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of my, I'm just, I'm actually closing my eyes and trying to kind of breathe my childhood through my nose and just, to, <laughs> just to see what's there. But basically, my childhood was mostly spent in boarding schools. Okay. So my childhood smelt of boys. <laughs> 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 oh, God. <laughs> it smelt of, of, you know, of boys changing rooms. And the and the rather cheap industrial products that that a, that a boarding school would use to counteract those the smell of our boys changing room. So th- those two things. It smelled like a urinal donut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. That's yeah. very funny. I'd say. I mean, you know. I mean, at, at better times, you know, my child would smell of bread because my mother was always baking it. You know, but okay. but but of course, you know. I, I, as a as a choir boy, mm-hmm. I was at school three quarters of the year. I mean, you know, I, I was away from home on Christmas. Really? Even. Yeah. I mean, our our winter term didn't finish until the twenty eighth of December. Because you had to sing. Because we had services. to sing through Christmas. Yeah. So so I wasn't at home much when I was a boy. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! I just love I just love that question. I just love that question. I had yeah. to, I had to steal that one because I just really feel like. That's, that was a great. That was actually a great. That was a great answer. That was a great answer. Again, a revealing. Boys. Like you know, nice of you to, to invite me to think about you know life in a way that I hadn't before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, that's, so I, I was I was I was wondering if you were like incense or something like that. You know, no, nope, no, not at all. In fact, that that's that's uh, that's always a surprising smell for me. Even now, that's you know because that was not the smell of church when I was growing up. Really, that's way too high church for for what for the environment I was brought up in. Even Westminster Abbey. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Never, never incense in Westminster Abbey. Candles occasionally, but not incense. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, I didn't know. I, I just figured that they were like that, that was the highest church you could have was Westminster Abbey. No, do they appeal to sort of a more broad? Well, yeah. Audience I mean, you know, then? I mean it, it is. You know, it's, it is absolutely kind of smack in the middle of the Anglican tradition, and you know, and, um, oh. you know that there are sort of high church Anglican mm-hmm. institutions. Where the, where a lot of incense is used, but Westminster Abbey is not one of them. Um, for I sometimes sing now in London in a, at a church called St Bartholomew's, which is a, a, an Anglican church. It's the, actually the only medieval church in London. It's a wonderful, wonderful building. And coronation, if you know, if you're in London and you're and you're sort of church hopping, mm-hmm. make sure you go and visit St Bart, St Bartholomew's, and Smithfield because it is a very, very special building. And you'll recognise it from such movies as well, I don't know, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and virtually every uh, every horror movie that's ever shot in london because it's it, it is such a sort of dark and gl- a gloomy, oh, okay. amazing romanesque building but anyway it, that's an extremely high church um anglican 
uh, Anglican institution that actually sort of it actually out Catholics most of the Catholic churches. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of plain chant, a lot of Gregorian chant sung, and there's a lot of um, and a lot of uh, you know a lot of Latin language. You know, um, um, which you don't hear much. You know, in the in the Catholic cathedrals and. Um, so uh, yeah, and a lot of incense there, but no, not in Western Abbey. It was not a smell of my childhood. So what do you think? This is sort of our second segment. Mm. And we're going we're going long, and I'm totally okay with that. It's fine. It's, fine. Um, um, it's the summer. It is the summer. So, and I know that Choir Nation is going to have more time to listen now that it's the summer. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like you do particularly well? You know, and, that's, and I want you to humble brag. This is a humble brag. You know, I'm, I'm giving you a pass to, to humble brag for a little bit. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a good consort singer. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, um, I, I don't have a beautiful voice, but I, but I have a, I have a, I have a very good instinctive understanding of the things that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. about singing with line. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I mean, I think I sing text very well mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, and I have very good intonation and, and I, and I partly because of my professional experience, I, I you know, I, I'm very good at singing with other voices, you know, making my voice work with other voices. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I mean, blend is part of the picture, but it's also a kind of, it, there's, it's a slightly more complicated than th- thing than that. You know, it's, 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 um, it's not about making your voice identical or similar to someone else's. It's just, it's just, it's just sort of finding that common ground, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, being able to kind of to to to, to minutely fine tune what you're doing and respond to what the little minute fine tunings that someone else is doing and, and make something happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, uh, but you know, but I don't. I, I there's a limit to how useful that is as a leader, as a choral leader, and you know, this is obviously the question that you're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's sometimes it's very helpful when I'm able to demonstrate good singing, good ensemble singing to uh, to a choir standing in front of me. Sometimes it's not helpful, you know. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I mean, my my colleague Amanda Quist, will, I, you know, she points this out quite a lot. Which she'll say, "Well, you know, but the great thing is you can do it." And you know, and and, and you know, if we're having a conversation about about you know how insecure we both feel about what it is we do. Um, uh, you know, and and I uh, sometimes feel like that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes it's sometimes it's more important to be able to describe it. Some, you know, you know, or, or to be able to lead it with your hands. Do you feel like you're more of a, a sort of a demonstration? I sort am. Of model? I am, and I. But I, I wish I had more than that to my mm-hmm. bow. You know, I, I think you know maybe one day I won't be able to demonstrate it, and mm-hmm. I still want to do it. Um, I think. Um, I think as a conductor, um, I think I'm. I think I have a, a good knack for um, inspiring um, inspiring singers who aren't necessarily instinctively well disposed towards what's in front of them mm. to to find an entry point for this music, um, to, you know, something for them to hang on to and get inspired by. Um, I, I think a lot of the students that I work with, you know, I, I don't have a, a large room of students mm. who want to be musicians. They, I don't have a large room of students who want to be musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, hardly any, actually, of the students I work with here um, want to be musicians, and they're certainly not interested in, you know, in choral music making as a career. Mm-hmm. They're, they're singing in a choir because they you know, because they want that. Um, they want um, 
they want that they they want that dimension to their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they spend so much of their lives thinking, and they want to feel something, and they or, you know they 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 want they want just to kind of be involved in something beautiful, communal and beautiful, and um, and you know and, and they and they and they want to be inspired, and I feel like um, I've found a good way to reach students who are maybe they're brought up in america maybe they have quite a lot of choral experience or maybe mm-hmm. they're from south korea and they've never sung in a choir before but they're good pianists mm-hmm. or maybe they're from new zealand and you know and, and and they're and they're you know thousands and thousands of miles away from home and they're and you know and, and they're singing because they they just you know they want to make friends or right whatever um i think i've you know i, th- I think um you know, we've had some nice experiences of, of putting fairly complicated music in front of us um, last year we did I don't know if you know James McMillan's Seven Last Words from the Cross it's sure. a very esoteric piece of music and you know and not terribly approachable I would say for an undergraduate mm-hmm. choir but um, I was happy with the way that they came to a mature understanding of the piece and a sense that what they were doing was valuable even when it, you know even when it's clearly not are the they num- taking this as a course? Are they taking no. choir as a course? no for you? it's not this for is a club. it's not for credit it's a club yeah they don't they don't have to come to rehearsal at all so so then, oof, okay. I mean, obviously, you you work at Princeton University, and there's probably some great work ethic behind this behind the students who are here. There is. So what what do you feel like? I mean, do, are they self are they self motivating students? I, I mean, yes. I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that part of that responsibility lies on my shoulders. But yes, they are self motivating mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, and if they audition for the Glee Club, which is the the, the main choir here, and they get in. You know, is they, that the top group, or is that considered a top group? It's or? the sort of blue riband group. It's the you know, it, it's the it's the most well known. How many group. singers? Seventy two. Oh, okay. Um, uh, th- there is there is a more select choir, uh-huh. but it's but it's not necessarily higher profile. Okay, if you see what I mean. So, yeah. Um, and and the V Club is the is the is the the choir that rehearses the most mm-hmm. and that does the most high profile concerts. Okay. Um, and you know, and it and it is rigorously auditioned, and you know, and and, and you know, and, and I turn away a lot of people who want to be in it. Mm-hmm. And is there a place for them? Now there is. Only, that's great. Only, okay. only since only since the last year. But really? Yes, yeah, that's a that's a, a new addition to the program. What is that called? We've called it the William Trigo Singers. It's named after a after a, a former director of the Glee Club here. And that's was, a come one, come all group at this point. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, we ask them to kind of give give us you know you know they sing for us first and give mm-hmm. us some some sort of demonstration of what they're all about. Mm-hmm. But um, and that choir is directed by Renata Dorak, who's, okay. who is the assistant choir director here. Gotcha. Um, Can't remember where we were. What were we talking about? We were talking about. Well, you you had done the Macmillan. You had oh, yes. Um, oh yeah. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so the the choir is. Um, um, yes. Yeah, so attendance at choir rehearsals is not compulsory. Um, oh wait. We, yes, we were talking about how do they motivate themselves. Yes. Um, in the sense that you know, there's nothing there's nothing I can do really to force them to be at choir rehearsals except. Mm-hmm. You know, except to remind them that it would it would compromise their place in the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, they're very strongly self motivated, and um, I, my sense normally is that is that they crawl over broken glass to get to choir, and some you know, and and, and they haven't slept or they you know they haven't you know whatever you know whatever it is they're going through. Quite often, um, you, know, you know, they might have a, a big 
thesis deadline that yeah. evening or whatever. But they, but, but for ninety nine percent of them, they take that responsibility very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've well, you're, not, you're an outlet that's so unlike anything that they're doing. I, I think sure. so. I think so. I think it's, I think it's a, a very important part part of life here actually, mm-hmm. because their because their academic life is so intense and so demanding and so competitive mm-hmm. as well. And that's one of the things that I really like about about the core program here is there is no competitiveness. Nobody has it in for anybody. There is no, I mean, you know, there is no, there are no dark looks when a solo goes one way and not another right. way. You know, no one resents anyone and, everyone, and they're all very kind of um, internally supportive. Do you feel so, like that's a culture that you brought to, to the program? No, I think, I think they, no, I think that was here. I think they brought mm-hmm. it to me. Okay. Uh, you know, I've certainly experienced, you know, I mean, ha- having led a choral program in a, in a school of music uh, and having seen competitiveness mm-hmm. in, in the ranks... <clears throat> especially among <clears throat> sopranos mm-hmm. you know um, <laughs> you know it that's 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 that must be there everywhere and yeah. and it's totally understandable because and and, it, and of course it's understandable that it's there among sopranos because there's so many of them right there's so many of them and you know and you know and and you really have to kind of you have to find a way to to kind of hoist yourself up above the sightline of 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 someone else in order to get noticed and you know and that and and it's and it's one of the immutable laws of of you know of singing that that you know there are there are too many sopranos for the number of jobs that are going around and that that's that's the case at professional level and student level mm-hmm. and so there are going to be some great singers who are left behind and you know I'm lucky that I'm in an environment where that's not actually that much of a problem you know where where they're all very happy to be taking part well I think in, in definitely in this world of increased sort of academic expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, through public school, I mean, you're at Princeton, obviously this is, you know, one of the pinnacles of, of academic excellence in, 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 uh, in the U S but, um, in the public school world, I, I, you know, I worked for nine years in a community where academic excellence was an expectation by parents. Uh, and sometimes, um, arts were the last thing on the parents list, you know, but the kids, uh, I never had to do much motivating to get kids involved in the program because I don't know whether they even, whether they knew, you know, maybe they had the they probably had the same reasons why your your you know your students at Princeton joined the program like they just needed that outlet they need to decom maybe potentially decompress or use their brain in a different way. Um, I felt in, even in a middle school there was that same there was that same um, you know need although I don't know if they knew what it was yes. what to call it yes but. Um, I think it's speak. I think to speak to sort of choir nation to, to speak to choir nation in this, um, I feel like your job is so much more important. Even though it seems like it's becoming less important to school districts or uh, institutions where you work, your job is I think becoming increasingly more important because of the academic pressures that are that are being placed on students nowadays uh, for, for this outlet for them to decompress and right. use their brain to like feel. Things. <laughs> right. If I, you know, if, if I were to take some time to think about how many of my students are, are actually getting pure vocational education from what I'm doing with them, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't think that my job is worth doing. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not the point. And I think and I, it's not the point for me. And I don't think it's the point for anyone out there, you know, for all of Choral Nation. I think it's Choir Nation. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't think it's the point for all of Choir Nation. Um, you know, the, the best thing that we can do as educators is give is give a generation of students an idea of beauty mm-hmm. that will sustain them 
through their life wherever it takes them and I, and 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 that will whatever it is they end up doing will color them mm-hmm. and um you know I, I in my optimistic way i have a sense that you know that a, that a that a, an investment banker will be a more kind of rounded humane um outward looking you know kind person mm-hmm. because he or she has has had a deep relationship with bach as mm-hmm. an undergraduate Absolutely. through singing the st john passion um you know that, just an example um but but I I believe that wholeheartedly, and and I I think you know whether or not whether or not any of my students go on to actually use these specific tools I'm mm-hmm. teaching them in, in their in their professional lives. I hope that they will that they will all remember everything that they've done, and I, I suspect if I do my job well, they'll remember it long after they've forgotten all of their academic work here. That's certainly the case you know, with me from my university experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything I did academically, but my goodness me, I remember some concerts. Yep. Um, and and, and I, that should be the case for all of us. You're just cranking out good people. I mean, really, it's what happened. I mean, you, you know, I, I, you know, let's yeah. just make it super simple. Cranking out good. You're people. You're cranking out good people. I, you know, because you're because there's there's such a, a different understanding of humanity in yeah. a in a in a coral in a coral community. Like, I don't. I don't want to be exclusive about it though, because you know, because I, I think you can get this from you know, you can get this. You know, in an, in you know, you in, from, in a community of artists, too, you, know? you can get it in a rowing crew. You can get yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you can be, you can learn to be a good colleague. You can mm-hmm. learn to you know, and you know, and and you can learn to make beautiful things elsewhere. But mm-hmm. I think you know, but this is this is our crucible. Mm-hmm. This is our environment, and yeah. you know, this is this is what we get. It's okay to be biased. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's actually it's kind of refreshing to think that you don't necessarily have to turn out the next Gabriel Crouch. <laughs> You know, I mean, you don't. I mean, yeah. you know, and because, well, I, you know, you have an, an, there's almost an advantage to like not having a per- music performance program at Princeton. Is it, you know, that you know that everybody in your choir wants to be there. Yeah. You know, and whereas if I drive down the road to Westminster or I go to Rutgers or the College of New Jersey or anybody or you know Udell or any any place around in this area that has a you know decent music education program there's people in the choir that take it for credit because they have to take it of course and may not be interested in taking it yeah um, but you know that everybody here at Princeton is is, is signing up for it because they want to be there you know, it has its disadvantages as well, but mm-hmm. I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. If I, if I'm honest, I, you sure. know, I am. You know, there is. You asked me, you know, about failure before, and and I must say that I'm, you know, kids frighten me, and walking into a room, f- you know, full of singers, only half of whom actually want to be there singing, mm-hmm. fr- frightens me, and I do not think that I'm good at turning those people around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you know, and and the process of trying to do it keeps me awake. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact that I don't have to do that here, yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. <laughs> I'm really lucky, and I, and I really, I admire so much the people who are good at. You know who are good and comfortable in that in that environment where I'm not. I really admire them, and I you know, and it's one of the things that I think is so great. I mean, you know, why I have so much respect for choral music education in America. It's because I think this country is full of people who are really good at that. Um, you know, and 
we get very very excited in the UK over a over a chap called Gareth Malone, you know, who 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 um, who yeah, can, the choir yeah, show, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, who's done a little bit of this on TV um, with you know with um, with underprivileged kids and in the cities mm-hmm. and uh, teaching them to sing for Valdi Gloria and, and what have you, you know, and, and I I heard that the that the show was taken over to America at one point and it, and the, it, it really upset me actually because it made me th- that's uh, how how dare how dare they think that America isn't full of people who can do this really well oh yeah because it is absolutely is you know there's it's um there's you know we can't the british can't hold a candle to the american system in 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 that sense that's refreshing news oh yeah i'm a big fan of choral music in this country to be totally honest you know i i before the interview i you know i mean i i don't know you well I do know, I know you a lot better now than it sounds like probably a lot of people might know you after this couple, last couple hours. But, yeah. but um, I, you know, when you think, you know, British choral music, you know, British choral artists, you might think that you might be dealing with a potential a very elitist person who sort of is stuck in their own ways as being a, you know, member of the UK, British choral community, you know, and... and you know, may sort of disagree with the way we do things over here. I mean, I've had I've had experiences, and I'm not going to name anyone, but I've had experiences with British conductors who've come over here and are like, yeah, you know, you can't, you don't do it, you can't do what we do over there, you know, or maybe, you yeah, know, you don't read like we read, or or um, I'm just generally disappointed with what they hear here. And yeah, I've so I was a little, I was a little maybe afraid of that initially. No, I mean, you know, I, I, I just my my perspective on it has always been completely different, and it has been that that you know it is um, it is a scandal that we actually don't know how to teach it. You know, we really don't. You know, all all that we do is we put is we put boys and increasingly now girls in these in these environments, mm-hmm. age seven, where they've really got no choice. You know, and they're just singing out three hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really you don't need to be that great. What do you? How do you learn music literacy then? I mean, you just do it. I mean, it's just sort of thrown into the fire. Is yeah, that yes? And you know, and, and you learn it at an age where where it does. It, you know, it kind of it seeps through the pores. You know, the osmosis is, is at play. But also, you know, you might well be having a lot of intensive and instrumental tuition as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, when I was a when I was a chorister, and I imagine it's the same for for you know for all the other British musicians who came through this background. You know, we were it was all you know we're all given piano lessons. We're all given lessons in another instrument, and you know, we were singing for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And in professional circumstances as well, you know, we were, you know, we were on view. We were performing in public eight times a week, um, you know. And and um, you know, for me, my the director of music at Westminster Abbey was he was an extraordinary musician. I, I don't I don't think that he he didn't really think much about education. He didn't think much about kind of about sort of ennobling us as musicians, mm-hmm. but he was an extraordinary musician. Uh, and uh, Simon Preston, his name mm-hmm. was. And uh, as a sort of, as a model to follow, uh, you know, you couldn't possibly imagine better. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was part of that, um, he was part of that generation that followed David Wilcox. And I think there's a, there is a generation of, of, of British musicians who were, who were, ed- who were kind of under the, the wing of David Wilcox, who are um, who are of that generation. They're now in their sort of late seventies, early eighties. And, 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 and they're all, very dynamic, very high energy musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Preston's definitely one of them. And then, you know, Don Elliott Gardner, people like that. Do you do you find that 
public school education in the UK, as far as choral music is concerned, is similar to... You mean... Um, I mean, because you you're mean, talking about seven-year-old as... You, seven, mean, you mean state school education, I take it, yes? Yes. Because, uh, yeah, you, uh, you probably know this, um, the British... Uh, understand it's stupid but um but if you say public school to a british person they imagine private school we for oh. some stupid reason we call we call private schools public schools okay so state school so oh, yeah. i mean because you obviously went to a boarding school yes. which is a private school yes yeah you know, um so i mean are state schools in it's lamentable. is that the norm no no we don't i mean the, in the, there's no there was very little music education. That's the norm here, right? right. That's the main yeah, absolutely. That's the norm here. So no, we don't have that in you know in the state schools, and you know, and, and so you know, choral music making is the territory of the elite. And if you're not in the elite, then you're nothing. You get nothing. You have no opportunity. Really, there is nothing for the eager. There's nothing. You know, well, I, I say nothing. There's there's not much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we rely on the Susie Digbys of this world actually mm-hmm. to to make those. Um, to make those kind of opportunities available. And, you know, and for Susie Digby to be Susie Digby, you know, you know, the state doesn't make it easy. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to raise a lot of money. You know, you, you have, you have to, you have to be very smart in all sorts of ways, not just musical in, mm-hmm. in order to make these opportunities happen. Um, and, and, um, you know, because the, 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 the state is not providing it as a matter of course, the schools are not providing it. Um, no, there, there, there's no, there are no choral musicians in, in, in state schools at all. Wow! No, blows my mind. I had no idea. No, there aren't. No, there aren't. And you know, so and we it, really have a better system in place here. Absolutely. Wow! Yeah. No kidding. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if Choir I mean, Nation would even would even know that. There are there are musicians. There are you know, heads of music, directors mm-hmm. of music. You know, there are some um, some schools. You know, it's a matter of opting in and opting out, and opting out. You know, there, there are some schools where there is some music mm-hmm. performance, but there wouldn't ever be a dedicated choral musician in a school no that that would never i mean unless i'm unless i'm the biggest ignoramus in the world mm-hmm. I, I i don't think that happens anywhere in, in the uk and you know it's just, and i think it's the case that you know it was pretty bad when i was a kid and it's much much worse now wow okay so you know so if you want to if you want to sing in england you know you better be one of the lucky ones or you have to do it outside of school and you have to be in an, you have to be you have to be you know lucky to be close enough to you know, to Susie Digby or, or or you know or someone similar or an organisation mm-hmm. similar. There are there are great youth choirs in in England mm-hmm. and really hardworking and great and skilled choral musicians. No, are they are they made of are they made of a sort of a, an upper higher a higher class of children? Hmm. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, you said it was you said that choral music was for the elite. Oh, no, I, I just mean the musical elite. I'm not. I'm not really talking. Well, oh, not, not a class thing. No. Oh, no, I okay. don't. I don't think so. No, no. I would. I wouldn't say that. But I mean, you know. I mean, I mean if I grew up in a poor area in 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 the UK, would I have the opportunity to sing with the Westminster Abbey Choir? I mean, yes. You if would. I was eager enough. Y- yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I would say. I mean, you know, because my my mother's a classical musician. I would, you know, that that kind of that sort of automatically. You know, if, if you're talking about class, that automatically makes you middle class. But but you know, but in my personal case, impoverished middle mm-hmm. class. Um, you know, um, uh, so you did not. You say you did not grow up with a lot of research. Oh God, no, 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 no. no. no in fact, I mean, you know, I I I 
for a while was brought up in project housing, or you know what we call council housing. Um, uh, See, I don't think I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Choir Nation would have gotten that idea from from the way that I talk. <laughs> well, n- no, I mean, yeah, well, no, just from the fact that I mean, you know, here you are, you're a you know you've a very accomplished choral musician, you know, you've sung with some, you know, you went to, I mean, you you went to Cambridge University, yeah, you know, I mean, if you. I'm not sure how many poor children go to Princeton University. Well, see, you see, the the thing is, um, actually, you know, in a, Princeton would say to you, mm-hmm. it's easy, it's the easiest thing in the world for a poor kid to go to Princeton because Princeton provides all the money, all the tuition that any family needs for their kid to go to Princeton. I don't know whether you know this, but they have there are no merit based scholarships here at all. So if you get into it's Princeton, need if you only. get into Princeton, they give you the money you need to come here, and you know and you get you know your your family's income gets means tested. And if you need full fee, if you need full tuition, they give you full tuition as a matter of course. But then of course you're ignoring all the kind of other social economic things like you know like how much of a leg up do you need mm-hmm. social economically to to be in the kind of bracket where you can have the rights the, the kind of academic profile to get you know and this is this is a much more complicated and, and, and long story for me mm-hmm. you know music was 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 the kind of escape was you know was the way out i um uh so i i was a i was a ver- i was a i was a i mean i was a bit of a prodigy i think when i was as a violinist when mm-hmm. i was when i was six or seven years old and mm-hmm. i and i i i um, I was only learning at home, but I, I know I was, I was playing the Bach A minor violin concerto when I did my voice trial at Westminster Abbey. Mm-hmm. So I was seven years old then, and that, so that's a that's a pretty sort of high level piece for a seven year old kid to play. And um, and that school, I mean, the reason why my mum sent me to that school was because the school fees there were two hundred pounds per term, six hundred pounds per year. Um, so this is nineteen eighty two. So so that you know that, so currency is different now, but mm-hmm. but still. That's you know it was it was cheaper for her to send me away to school than it was for her to feed me at home. You know, so if so no, so so there was no need for a silver spoon in mm-hmm. order to get in. And, and then once you're through, once you're in that door, mm-hmm. then you know then other doors become open. You know, and I then from there I went to a very well-known school. I was surrounded by aristocrats. You know, mm-hmm. all my friends had double barrel names and all were all brought up in the equivalent of Downton Abbey. And, you know, and, I mean, right. um, and, and I felt very odd and I was sometimes made to feel very odd as well because, you know, because of the clothes that I wore and the accent that I spoke in and all of that. But, you know. It, see, but, see, over here, because British just sounds like British. So yeah, like, well, I, I mean, but also I, I now speak in a kind of received you oh, know, okay. University Act. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it, it's it's all. It, it, there's never a conscious process to it, but it mm. just that just sort of happens. You know. And, but ch- so ch- children are children are still bullies in in. Oh yeah, in of course. <laughs> of course <laughs> even, at, even at the yeah. Westminster Abbey School. Uh, not so much there, really. Actually, I mean, we were all too busy to beat each other up. Mm-hmm. It was more. It was more where I went later. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I, you know. I don't know whether this is an interesting digression for coronation, but but, but for, sorry, I don't know if this is an interesting digression for coronation. But for the record, no, I was uh, I, I was uh, you know I, I was uh, I was not born into a family of means. Neither was I. No. So <laughs> I have two Westminster Choir College graduates. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, they're they're fine now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So. I... And I, I, no, I think that I think that's was important for them to understand, for the Choir Nation to understand, is that 
is that, you know, um, what do you, I mean, so sort of hard work? Well, yeah, I mean, mean, right. But a lot of it, you know, you know, we, we understand this today. Um, You know, in in those circumstances, everything in life is harder. But if, but if there is, if circumstances are at home are, sufficient for you to be able to kind of to to to, to build skills and mm-hmm. you know and as a musician if if there at least is an environment for you at home where you can practice mm-hmm. and you know and for me obviously I was lucky my mum was a violinist so, so I was getting free teaching at home mm-hmm. from my mother and, and my mother was very 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 I mean fiercely committed to her children's musical education and, so and, and, did, and did your kids oh. right oh yeah yeah and it wasn't easy for her I'm sure but um you know so so we were very lucky in that in that sense um, you know, and, and and of course, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're a musically inclined kid and you have no and there is no money at home and your parents aren't interested in your inclination, yeah, what do you do in those circumstances? You're really relying on a guardian angel at that point. Yeah, and it's very difficult. I run into that problem all the time. Yeah. Running a private music school, I have kids who I wholeheartedly believe in that need this worse than. Than the people who can afford to yeah. to pay for it, what do you do? Because I still have to keep the lights on. Yeah, you know, and that's something I struggle with all the time. You know? Right. Well, if you give your services away, are you worried about people taking advantage of it? You know, or you know, but I mean, if I've scholarshiped people into into product, you know, we we do product, we do a lot of productions and stuff. I've scholarship people into productions, and I've you know, it's it's always a constant. It's always a constant. Um, inner, you know, battle because it's you know you have to value what you do. You yeah. have to make you know put a you know as a dollar put it you know put a price tag on it. And the other side, the other hand is is you have to these kids need it. They need it. Like they could be you could alter an entire person's life yes. by giving them the opportunity. And sometimes you need that. You need to be that guardian angel. Well, this you know in England the, the state used to be good at this and is is now much less good. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I would say that um, you know there used to be government assisted places that were that were available for lots and lots of kids from underprivileged backgrounds mm-hmm. at schools where where you would get specialist training or the, you know, private schools, um, and that's much less the case now. So you know we're more relying now on the on the American model, but the, the, the thing is, the, the great thing about America is actually the mm-hmm. culture of private gift giving is much stronger here. Oh sure, you know, and 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 you know, development offices that are that really have their game together are pretty good at raising money. And you know, in England, they're having to learn increasingly. They're having to learn you know, about how the Americans do it because it's just you know we're not that way inclined, mm-hmm. and we have to be. Well, let me let me just sort of jump into the sort of I call this the Acellarondo round. This okay. is the, the the rapid fire questions. Um, what project are you most excited about right now? Well, um, I'm taking the choir to taking the Glee Club to South Africa in January. All and, right, um, we're going to be we're going to be if you need chaperones. You let me know <laughs> if I had a nickel. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, uh, we're going to be doing a piece that, as yet uncreated, and that probably will never be committed to score by a, by a by a, a South African musician called Mbongi Semiduma, who who uh, who writes music for the stage in New York. That's how I how I came across him. We're going to be um, um, sort of working on a piece, a collaborative piece with him during this semester, which is going to be a completely new experience for me that I'm really looking forward to. And uh, I think you know, 
um, that's 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 pretty exciting. That sounds for me. awesome. I've also got a project coming up for my group for Galacantus for the early music group, which I feel I, I maybe I should just say we've got an exciting project coming up. Mm. I'm you know I I, I kind of I feel like I should just keep the keep my powder dry in terms of telling you about it for now because okay. it's it's a it's you know it's a it's a nice nice little scheme I've got cooking up. Well, tell us about it when we you can, and then we'll make sure that the audience knows about yeah. it. So. So that way, if you need, I can help. We can help you promote it if you need, if, if you need help. Awesome. Um, the most, this is funny, the most favorite, uh, I always ask, what is the most favorite concert you've ever attended? Um, and oh, yeah. it's funny that we've probably had two or three guests in the past. So I would say now the past, you know, we've had uh, at least 15% of the guests so far uh, or more. No, more than that. Thirty percent of the guests so far have have talked about a, a Tenebrae concert that they've attended. What? Uh, wow! Yeah. Oh, and it's that's that's mine as well. Mine, my favorite concert I've ever attended was a Tenebrae concert, and you know, was I singing in it? It was Russian choral literature at Basilica St. Peter and Paul in Philadelphia about three years ago. <sighs> I was. Funnily enough, I was on that tour. I was sung in every concert on that tour except for that one because the because my Glee Club did its joint concert with the Harvard Glee Club that night. Oh. So funnily enough, I actually was not singing in that concert, but, oh. I, but I sung in every other concert on that tour. I just lost <laughs> my mind. I was like weeping the entire time. It was just oh. beautiful. Um, what is your favorite concert that you've ever attended? I impossible for me to as decide, an audience member. Yeah, impossible for me to decide between two. Um, one um, is the first time I ever watched Martha Argrich play. Um, and um, it was Rostropovich's 80th birthday concert in London, and um, I went, uh, I didn't have tickets for the concert, but but um, my then-girlfriend and I stood outside the hall, and and we eventually kind of, we eventually found someone who would sell us a, a pair of tickets. We paid a huge fortune for them. I don't know why we did it, but we went in there, and, it, and there were all these great musicians all, all kind of doing a turn. Mm-hmm. In honor of Rostropovich, and you know, Gidon Kramer was there, and you know, Zubin Mehta, and Seiji Azawa, and you know, and and, and, and Marta Agrich was playing, and she just played Prokofiev Third Piano Concerto, the final movement, and um, and it was, um, you know, it, it was the start of a complete obsession with that piece of music, and also an obs- a, a bit of an obsession with her, and I, I've seen her several times since and I, I i can never ever tire of watching her i just think she is the most dynamic unpredictable virtuosic fluent you know makes music for the right reasons and with and with the right amount of kind of tempest and darkness and you know and 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 you know kind of she's sort of irascible and unpredictable and you know and this it's all for all kinds of reasons i love her and i love her music making and so that for the first time I saw her was a big eye opener mm. for me. I would say that the most kind of the most sort of like soul launching mm-hmm. musical ex- musical experience didn't involve any notes or melody at all. It was um, I was at the Edinburgh Festival and I watched a Japanese kodo drumming group called Wadaiko Ichiro um, perform. And I don't know if you've ever seen kodo drumming. I've I've seen it not in person. But, you know, but I've I've sometimes wished that I'd you know, kind of given my whole life to be a sort of slave to rhythm because because the, dis, the extraordinary discipline that these people have 
um, you know, are, I don't know if you know anything about the the, you know, the island Sado Island in, in Japan, no. where, mm. where which is basically sort of given over to this art. Okay. And you know, from four in the morning, you're basically you're you're basically enslaving yourself to this to this um, to to this higher art, mm-hmm. and um, and the 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 spectacle and the you know and the and the and the auditory experience of, of of this performance in Edinburgh was so exciting to me. I mean, I can remember that standing up at the end was not enough, and I can you know we were. Mm-hmm. I, I remember climbing and thinking, "What can I do? What? How can I express what I feel right, right now?" And I didn't just stand up; I stood on my chair and I yelled and I yelled and I yelled at the top of my voice because what I'd seen was so incredibly exciting to me. Name the group again: Wadaiko Ichiro. Wadaiko Ichiro. It's just it's a. Uh, I think they're a splinter group of the of um, the Kodo drummers. Amazing. Yeah, it was. Um, th- that was a completely amazing experience for me. Yeah. What advice do you have for your younger self? Mm. Well, um, I in my mid twenties I started to regret not working harder at university and. Um, and although you know, if I don't blame myself too much for, the, for that. I, I I feel like I went to university and studied the wrong subject. And so, I mean, the the the, the thing that I would really encourage my younger self to do would be to just wake up and do some proper research and find out what's what's out there academically for you. Because I, you know, I read geography at Cambridge, which was fine, but you know, I you know you. No one in America knows what geography even is. You know, it's not. It's not even a discipline here at all. Mm-hmm. I should have read theology. Okay. Absolutely, should have read theology. I, I was fine that I didn't read music. I think that's you know. I think you know, I think I kind of got a musical education in other ways. But mm-hmm. I wish I had studied theology. Uh, you know, it kind of it speaks. You know, it, I, I am interested in all sorts of different ways, and you know, especially sociological. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that would have. I think that would have really nourished me, as a as a you know, as a student. And I, so, so I know I regret not getting more academically out of university. Um, you know, other than that, I try not to live with too many regrets. So, so, you know, I would just tell my younger self just to carry on. Good choice. (laughs) What do you believe makes an outstanding conductor? Um, There are two things that I um, that I work hard to communicate to my students, and that I think are sometimes missing in conductors that I see out there. And one of them is is a, is a a certain amount of humility, um, humility and honesty. So one of the things that really upsets me in in conductors I see is when they um, is when they. You know, it's when they hear things that aren't right, mm-hmm. and then they will choose an easy target to shout at, um, because they don't want to be seen to not know what's going, you know, to, to not know what's going on. And I see that actually rather a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know that, that sort of that kind of scattergun anger mm-hmm. that um, that conductors sometimes show, and, and you know where, where they would just where they would rather be kind of, you know, they 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 would rather be humiliating someone than. Than you know, than what's their own insecurity than, than talking? Someone's confidence. Yeah, there's a lot of great conductors who specialize in humiliating people. Conductors, you know, you know, certainly from you know in the country where I'm from, conductors who you would consider to be very famous, who uh, who are 
assholes, basically. <laughs> um, that's one. I never, I never Sorry, had to mark any of any of my. Any of my podcast explicit yeah. language oh, yet? Sorry. So no, this is fine. I don't know if I should bleep it or yeah. whether I should actually be like this should be the first time I should mark one of my podcasts explicit in iTunes. You should just keep firing away because then maybe I could make I could make it worth it. I could do like a whole language disclaimer at the beginning. Well, I'll leave that up to you. I'll leave that up to you. You can just bleep it. Um, <laughs> the other thing um, is, you know, what, what, so the what, first thing is humility. Humility. Okay. And sort of, it, it's, you know, this almost this feels like a flip side to that, but um, I think you also need a certain obstinacy as well. Um, there's a moment in the relationship between a conductor and an ensemble where you, as a conductor, offer your first piece of your your first thought, mm-hmm. your first criticism, your first request. Um, you know, let's. Let's look for this at this point. Of, you know, let, let's make this kind of music at this point, at this moment. And then, then the crucial moment happens when your musicians then deliver that music back to you in the way that you've asked for it. Mm-hmm. And you then have to process what you hear and ask yourself whether it's actually what you asked for. Mm-hmm. You know, is the is the fact that you asked for it sufficient? You know, does does that fulfill your you know your need to be heard and be, <laughs> right. be part of the music making process? You know, or do you have a very clear idea of what your standard is and what your expectation of your musicians is, and you know what you're asking them to actually reach for, and you know, and at what point do you you know you know is it acceptable for you to stop them and say that isn't quite what I asked for, or I think I can, I think we can do that a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, can you ask for that twice? Can you ask for it three times, four times? You know, that. Um, I, I obviously it's not a great idea to ask for it ten times because 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 you are that that clearly shows that you have an unrealistic expectation of musicians, or mm-hmm. you know, or you've failed to kind of you failed to in, to inspire them to reach for the height that they can reach for. Mm-hmm. One of those two problems is there. But at the same time, it is not at all acceptable to just, you know, to just say your piece and then, you know, and then have them go 20% of the way to what you ask for mm-hmm. and for them to think and for them and for that to be sufficient. Because if you, if you establish that all you're really asking for when you make a request or when you, when you, when you, you know, make an observation or criticism, you know, if you're, if you're looking for just a sort of, for a very slight change in your direction, mm-hmm. You know, and they grow comfortable with the fact that they only have to make that much effort. Mm-hmm. Then, by the law of human nature, that's what they will always do. Yep. You know, and you will, and you will never have that 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 sort of frisson, that sense of energy in your in your rehearsals, where they're where they're really reaching for the you know for the furthest extent of what you're asking for. And I think that's important. I think it's important that you establish that right on day one as well that, that that you have that there there be a moment when the your musicians understand what your standards are and what your expectations of them are so i'd say on the one hand some humility and on the other hand some obstinacy as well well there's this balance there's this it's really from what you're saying it sounds like there's like a really scary balance of ego that you have to have like yeah. in order to, i mean because i you know you can't come in you can't come in with uh you have to come in with a request that first request needs to be practical, not practical, responsible. It needs to be responsible mm-hmm. um, for you to be asking that, and it can't be you're, you're not you're not you're not asking that to make yourself look like you know what you're talking about to the point that it makes you look 
like an egotist. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm communicating this, but because something just sort of arose in my head when when you when you you started talking about your second thing and and um I'm trying to figure out the right the right way to say it. I feel like there are, there are people in the world in this world in the choir world that probably take that very take that first moment very very seriously. Yes. But the, and they take it to an ex, such an extreme that it that it interrupts your first your first right. request of humility. Like, you know what I'm you well, know what I'm saying? I mean, how many like, conductors? Like a black hole that's going to open in front of me right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you? I mean, how many conductors do you see where where you look at what they do and think, oh, this is all about you? Right. Well, that, that's maybe what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, right, the request it, has to be. It has to be reasonable it has to be about it's going to be music centric music yeah, focused absolutely not you focused because because i could see somebody you know potentially someone taking what you're having what, what you have to say and applying it to the next rehearsal and then them coming in like a you know like a bull in a china shop and 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 making an egotistical mess all over their rehearsal um and making it not about the music at all but about about like I'm using this moment to establish myself as the leader, as like an authority figure in this rehearsal. Or maybe like if you think about like a, I was thinking about this in the terms of like a guest conductor. Mm. You know, when you're brand new to this ensemble, you know, and potentially um, they've heard about you before you show up. Yeah. You know, and and your own insecurity says, I need to say something really smart. I mean, right? You know, they're yeah. expect- because your reputation your reputation precedes you at this point, and 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 you need to say something really smart. But sometimes, well, I you- think smart people don't actually have, don't have, don't so much have that worry. They but, don't. Yeah, but-, but but remember, we all we all deal with imposter syndrome, right? Yes, so we do, yeah. I just feel like some. Oh, I, just, I don't know. There's just like so many. It's you're you're absolutely right. Um, It's like that moment. It's that. It's that moment where, like, um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna use, we'll use like a sales negotiation reference. I'm a really great negotiator, and I've read a lot about sales. And there's a point where someone offers the first price. Yeah. And there's that like, and, and any great negotiator should not say anything for like a good six seconds mm-hmm. after the first, after the first price is uttered by the other party. And there's that. And I almost liken this idea of offering out your first constructive criticism to offering that first price in the negotiation. And then there's a silence of what happens after that. And then there's the response by the other party or the, or in this case, the choir, yes. you know, and any any good negotiator on the other end would say would 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 make that silent you know take that pause and then say no <laughs> you know and then but I because there's so you know and I feel like a choir maybe even a professional choir but it would be even worse than an academic choir um, oh yes right I mean oh yes you're gonna hear that no you're not gonna hear them say no. But you you might offer out that first bit of constructive criticism or that or the request, and 
they're just not going to return what you want them to return because because of their own because of their ego. Yes. And that just it just is horrifying. It just sounds horrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it's a great thing you work with with students. You know, but I mean, as a as a somebody walking into a professional setting. I mean, I, I've been on the other side. I've been in the choir version of a, of a you know, professional setting. I've not, not been a conductor of a professional choir, but I've been in the choir. And there are times where, you know, 25-year-old Ryan, you know, would have just not wanted to do what he said just because I, yeah. like, it just because of my own ego. Yeah. You know. Oh. Yes. I can I can certainly relate I can relate to that as an undergraduate as well when I fir- when I first turned up at uh, Trinity Cambridge you know when I when I, I I was quite sneery about some of some of the music that was going on around me some of my colleagues and it, mm-hmm. just, it didn't feel as intense as it did when I was a choir boy and it, you know and and, uh, and I just I looked down my nose it all, all seemed a little bit sort of comfortable and um, I've always liked I've always liked edgy mm-hmm. adrenaline fueled music making mm-hmm. and, and and I think I think my rehearsals probably a, a quite adrenaline fueled um and um you know but so maybe in the same respect not to interrupt you, you yeah. maybe you you don't you can't give your choir you can't allow them to give you that six seconds of of pause in an in, i think i feel like in an adrenaline filled rehearsal because i feel like i'm probably very a very similar rehearsal technician yes. and that i move very fast i don't ever give anybody a chance to think about yeah. about what I just said. It's just, we're going to do it. Now we're going to, we're just going to do it and then we're going to do it. And, and it builds up the adrenaline throughout, throughout the rehearsal. Um, so pacing, I think is a big, is a big concern too, for that, maybe that first interaction that you have with your new yeah. choir. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, no, of course, you know, if, if you're working with a new choir, you do want to generate a sense of comfort, a sense mm-hmm. of ease about what's going to, but, 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 Woe betide if you go too far down that route, you know. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, remember, I I do also lead professional singers mm-hmm. as well, um, you know. So, so I have to make sure, you know, and and with them, you have to be very respectful of their time, mm-hmm. and you have to keep the, you know, the you cannot deliver lectures with students. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a whole host of contextual stuff mm-hmm. that will really fuel them, uh, you know, as as young musicians. There's a whole, you know, mm-hmm. learn about. I don't know whether it's anti-Semitism or John Passion. Tell them the story. Get them right. fired up by, by what's going on. Do that with professional musicians and you're in trouble. Uh-huh, yeah, um, so, I mean, is there... So where do you... And this is another rabbit hole, but how do you end up making music that's... I want to say yours. But I'm going to say yours. Um, with professionals. As, as, a, as a conductor of professionals... Yes. How do you make it your own and not, or does it, is it ever really become your own or is it just, is it really just more become ours? Ours. Yes. I, I, you know, I I think that's probably my approach. Certainly. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a small ensemble for me. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 our rehearsals, the Galicantus rehearsals, I try to make them a, a communal, I I would like everyone who's involved in the ensemble to feel like they have a kind of stake in the music making Mm -hmm. process. I think it becomes more interesting for them if that's the case. And they're all, they're all of a, of a caliber where, Mm -hmm. um, where, where that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with students, you have to be very careful about that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, if if I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to completely sit on a student's musical impulses as well if 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 they had them even if even if there were 72 students in the choir um there has to be a, there has to be a way somehow to to 
to make a student feel music you know, to be engaged in the music making process not just um not just sort of you know parroting you know or, you know, or skillfully reproducing what it is you're requesting of mm-hmm. them i think you know, for, you know if it's really going to be exciting right there needs to be a little bit element of a uh... Well, living in the moment, mm. I guess. So it'd be a lot of that. Uh, that's a that's a Flummer felt sort of ism. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was his whole thing. Is, is that, but let's I mean, just see. Let's just see what happens. To, to go back to this, to go back to this point, this is what I was talking about about being slightly obstinate with mm. with, with your singers. I I think there is a way to do this you know, without it being remotely about you. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, you ask for a phrase to be shaped in the following way. You know, you know. And it, because you know, if it were me, I would probably demonstrate it because that's because that's the mm. way that I do it. Mm-hmm. So I would demonstrate how I think you know maybe how we might do it, and then they sing it, and they and you know and and I and I sense a certain move toward in the direction of what I'm asking for, but but I'd like a lot more, and I think mm-hmm. they're capable of a lot more. You know, at that at that moment, do you just do you just you know do you give in to your desire to make the rehearsal a kind of smooth and comfortable process where no one feels put out, mm-hmm. you know? Or do you go there and then? Do you at that point go? I think we can do more. I think you can do more. Um, let's try this again, mm-hmm. and you know, and then again a third time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think if you're able to do that effectively without being annoying, mm-hmm. um, then then I, then I think you're onto a very good thing because you know because you know because very quickly you've created a shortcut. You know you know you've you've created a, an instinctive understanding that you know, when you ask for something you want you want them to go the whole hog, mm-hmm. and you know, and and if you don't go the whole hog, he's going to stop you and make you go the whole right. hog. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> There's always been that, that that conversation with my with my choirs for sure. You know, guys, we could be here all day, or you could just do what I ask no, you to yeah, do. Yeah. I hate rehearsal. Yeah. I hate rehearsal. So I like making music. Let's make music. So just get over this thing that I'm asking you to do. Do it right, and then we'll move on. Yeah. You know. It's just oh. like such a simple. Con- it's a, such a simple concept. You know? Oh, the, the, let's spend time making music, please. The social manipulation involved in inquiries, in isn't it? Just oh, drive, drive I mean, crazy. It's, you should. Pro- I mean, you're saying theology. You probably should have. You probably should have studied psychology. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, you, because I mean, that's what you end up being anyway. You end up being a yeah, min- a, a benevolent manipulator of 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 young minds. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I mean. It smells like boys or whatever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, this Inchalorana round hasn't really been too fast, but it's okay. Um, let me just, I want to just sort of bring things to, I want to put things in a little, wrap it up in a bow. Um, um, very quickly, walk us through your morning routine. My morning always starts with a cuddle. I don't know whether this is, you know, there's too much information, but <laughs> no, but, but actually, um, you know, uh, I got married in 2012, and um, one of the things that that we, my wife and I, said to each other uh, publicly when we got married was mm-hmm. that was that we'd always go to bed at the same time, and that you know, and that whatever had happened during the day, that you know, that the day would always end with a cuddle, and that would always begin with a cuddle, and um, so neither of us gets out of bed until that's happened. So, um, and, it's, and you know, it's what's it been three, you know, two and a half years now, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that, that's you know, I think you know, I think if you were to ask her, mm-hmm. I think she'd, she'd say the same thing. The day begins with a cuddle. That's important. Yeah, that's, and you and you have a beautiful release of oxytocin yeah. in the morning. Yeah. So, and then uh, typically uh, a glass of hot lemon and a little bit of time with the dogs. A um, glass of hot lemon water. Yeah. 
No tea. Later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm being moved slightly reluctantly into a into a sort of healthy lifestyle by my wife. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. But uh, this hot lemon thing is is, is suiting me fine. Uh, a little bit of time with the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have two pugs. They oh. need, you know, they need feeding and they need playing with and they need walking mm-hmm. and they do their business and you know so, mm-hmm. so 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 we kind of explore the neighborhood a little bit together. Um, you get up early. No. No. Except when I'm jet lagged. Except when I've recently come back from England, like now. So, <laughs> okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm a. I'm a. I go to bed late. Okay. Well, <laughs> I want to go to bed late. I go mm-hmm. to bed same time as my wife. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's always been my ways. Um, no, we're not we're not early risers. Okay. You know, um, when I was a kid, I can remember an academic. I'm meeting an academic at uh, a classics professor at Cambridge University who said that he was capable of two productive hours of thinking in a day, and I kind of. I, you know, and I, I quite like that idea. You know that, mm-hmm. that you know that that um, that somehow that the idea of kind of creating twelve hours for you to do hard, good, hard work in a day is in a, in a way counterproductive. Yeah, I don't, I, just, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't work every hour that God gives me. Um, so, I, I'm reading just recently finished reading um, an amazing book, and we're going to jump into this question very quick, very quickly in a second um, about your favorite your favorite book, personal growth, maybe, or a music book, uh, or a book that's really impacted you. Um, and you already mentioned Stephen Fry's The Liar, which I thought was a good book uh, to mention, considering the, the, the um, conversation on imposter syndrome. But yeah. um, one of the books that I read recently sort of pertaining to this two hours of productive thinking is Stephen Fry. I'm not Stephen Fry. You're Stephen Fry's your guy. Um, Stephen Pressfield. Yes. Um, the War of Art. And he's the same guy who wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. I mean, he's oh, yeah. sort of gotten a little bit yeah. more popular in the 90s. Um, um, and The War of Art, it's a, you could read it in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, it speaks about resistance. It speaks about sort of um, your your number one enemy as a creative mm-hmm. is a resist is, is resistance, and um, and it presents itself in many 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 ways. Uh, what she goes about uh, understand you know to help you understand in the book, but um, the idea of getting up and putting your blinders on for literally two hours um, and just and just creating in some way and then the artist way um, the artist way book the artist way gets into this too about writing two pages by hand every day and things like yes. that. But um, this, you know, what he speaks about is in his routine, you know, wakes up, does what he, did, what he needs to do, and he puts his blinders on and he's there for two hours and it's the hardest damn thing he's ever done. Yeah. Uh, it's just an uninterrupted un- two hours of writing or creating or, you know, it could be score study, it could be planning your rehearsal or whatever. The commitment to that is unbearable. Yeah. You know, um, and I think often we're like, yeah, we have eight hours, we can spread things out. But do we actually ever really do? I mean, do you actually even do two hours of? I know it's it, uh, of, of dedicated thinking in an eight-hour period. I can't. I don't think I do. In between emails, it's um, yeah, it's, it's we're so it's we're constantly interrupted. Yeah, constantly interrupted. I admire. Days. I mean, I, I do. I'm aware of colleagues of mine who do a portion, you know, a, a certain amount of time each day to score study, mm-hmm. and um, I. You know, I wish I had that discipline, mm-hmm. um, and and so, and I hope one day to re- to acquire it. But I better bloody hurry up because mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> right, and where and where would teachers find that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In a public school in the U.S., I mean, I can tell you, I had first period off mm-hmm. 
I had an, an eight, eight or nine period day, depending on what year you talk to me. And I had first period off. I'd get to school probably late because mm. I had first period off. <laughs> but I would get in there. I'd be, I'd be jumping straight into a meeting yeah. or straight into conversation with my colleagues about planning the day, planning the week, planning the trip, planning the concert. And then I'd have a flood of children coming in. You know, and when I wasn't, when I didn't have a flood of children coming in, I had children asking me for extra time, or I had children asking me, or I had, I was responding to emails of yeah. parents and administrators, and by the time I was done my day, I was already fall, I was falling asleep on the wheel on the, on the way home, on the way home. Right. And, and, you know, and I feel like that's a lot of the people in Choir Nation, that where do you find the time? I mean, unless you wake up at 4 a.m., yeah. where do you find two dedicated hours to, like, to make creative progress in your life. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, you know, I, I have a, you know, I, I have a, I learned a long time ago from a, from a friend that exercise was a good, was a, was a good way to, to put your mind in the right place. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, on, on, on the days where exercise is scheduled, you know, I, I, I do a better job mm -hmm. of, you know, of, of, of being productive as a thinker and, you know, for a little period in each day. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't ask an awful lot of myself in terms of, you know, in, terms of in terms of getting up early in the morning. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm doing productive work by 10.30, I'm happy, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but then that's partly because, you know, my, um, you know, a lot of my rehearsal, a lot of my, the real meat of my day is in the evening, you know, mm -hmm. so, so my rehearsals kind of start at 4.30 and they often finish at 10.30, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, emptying an opera or mm -hmm. something at the time, you know, then, then I'm often, That's re nice. often rehearsing till late at night. So mm -hmm. I don't want to start too early. That's what my life is like now. Yeah. I start my day at three. Yeah. You right. know, that's when actually people need me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. so that's when I met with you. It was three, it was 3 PM. Yeah. You know, before that I had time to get up, take a run, you know, answer my emails yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, all right. So how about that? The book. Book. Um, and by the way, Choir Nation, I'm going to put a link to every every book we mentioned on on um, Gabriel's show notes page, which will be ryanguth.com forward slash zero one six. The most influential book. Mm -hmm. on, I, I have to be honest. Uh, um, I would say, and this is you know this. I, I think you'll you know some of you will, some of some of you out there in Choir Nation will find this book rather <laughs> rather heavy going if you if you read it or or rather. Just rather kind of. It's not Dr. Seuss. No, it's not. Okay. This is. It's called Narcissus and Goldmund by Hermann Hesse. Or Nazis und Goldmund. If you if if you're if you're clever enough to read it in German, which I'm absolutely not. <laughs> um, uh, but I th I think the reason why this book was so uh, influential on me is is because so um, you know this it's a sort of slightly autobiographical work, um, and, and Narcissus and Goldmund are two characters who who um who kind of ex who who um who represent two conflicting sides of the same person one of whom is an one of whom is a monk and a complete ascetic who you know who lives an entirely internal life mm -hmm. and oh uh, no that's narcissus um, so we're not we're not talking about greek mythology i don't i don't know actually Nar like narcissus who ah. stared himself in the in, in, in his in his own has started his own reflection or well but um you know but, but if you think about it mm -hmm. i mean no we're not talking about greek mythology okay. but 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 this character nazis narcissus mm -hmm. he is entirely 
self-absorbed. Okay. You know, he lives an entirely internal life. You know, okay. he you know he is kind of lost in himself okay. in an sort of inter- idea. in an internal yeah. journey. But yes, and this is represented. You know, he's a monk. He's mm-hmm. an ascetic. He is a, you know he 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 kind of you know he imagines life and you know and, and he thinks life and he reads life, but mm-hmm. he doesn't live life. Goldman is 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 you know is the sort of is the yang to his yin. You know, Goldman um, goes out and experiences absolutely everything without thinking. With whilst never thinking, just mm-hmm. go, it's just experience after experience after experience. And, and Goldman, I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary, um, I- extraordinary things happen to Goldman, mm-hmm. things that I can't, can't really go into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And, um, uh, and the basic, but, but this is, this is a, these are two sides of a, of a, of a sort of dual personality of one, of one person, you know, and they, they diverge from the same place at the beginning of the book and they come together at the same place at the end mm-hmm. in this monastery. It's called Maria, Maria Bronn in the, in the book, but it's actually a place called Marlbronn, mm-hmm. which is, a, which is a, a monastery in Germany where Hermann Hesse was educated. So it's extremely heavy, extremely romantic, extremely 19th century German. Mm-hmm. But, um, I read it when I was impressionable young twenties and, um, a guy, there was a guy, an artist in, in the Netherlands who, who, who I was, who I, I thought was wonderful. I really admired this guy and, 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 and I, I loved spending time with him and listening to him tell stories and things. And, um, uh, he, he put me onto the book and, um, and at the time it was, it was very, um, it was completely overwhelming. I can remember I was on, I was singing the King Singers at the time, but I can remember I was on tour in the United States while reading this book. I don't remember anything about the tour. I was totally, totally consumed in this book, and you know I'd, I'd walk onto planes and I'd walk or I'd, or I'd kind of walk into hotels. I'd have the book open in front of me all the time. Really, completely, completely consumed by this book, and um, and yeah, and it you know and it was one of those. And, you know, from that point forward, I then read everything of, of Hermann Hesse's kind of looking for the same enlightenment, but never quite finding it. I always found that book was the one that really did it for me. Well, there will be a link to that book right. on your show notes page. And if you want to support, if you want to support the podcast, then buy it from that link. It'll bring you right to Amazon. Uh, all right. Here's your last question. Great. You had only one concert left in your lifetime. A choir with limitless ability and access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be? And what would be the last piece on that program? Figure You Main by Poulenc would be the last piece. Um, no question about it. Okay. Uh, um, uh, that, is, that, is, um, um, that is the piece that has, um, that kind of has consumed me more completely than any, any other. And, and I, I say this with all sorts of respect to Bach and, mm-hmm. you know, and various other things. Mm-hmm. Figure Remain by Pulek, I think, is, is, is the piece that has most deeply captivated me in my life. Okay. And, and, you know, if this is going to end this concert, mm-hmm. Figure Remain ends with a top G in the soprano, this kind of shriek, liberté, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's a pretty appropriate way for this, for, you know, for my last concert to finish. I, um, and it is also, you know, arguably the hardest piece of choral music you know, I mean, it's, you know, I think it kind of makes Friedhof Erden rather kind of straightforward <laughs> by comparison. It's 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 extraordinarily difficult piece. So so it, so it, you know, it'd be nice for the you know, for the last piece to be a real Everest mm-hmm. in that sense. It is. Um, I don't know if you know it, but it's you know, but it's well I've, worth. I've well listened worth to it. Knowing. I've never I've never actually seen the score, but I've listened to um, it plenty of times. So and I, th- I mean I think also you know the fact that you know I really love Poulenc as as a composer and I feel like this was you know this was a moment when he was really touched by greatness and and you know and and, and I think and I 
you know that didn't happen every time he sat down at a, <laughs> at, a, at a score and you know he was I, I love him in all sorts of ways I love him for his humor and I love him for I love him for his I think he there's a, there's an obvious humility in his music I just think that this this particular piece at this time in his life during the second world war you know him wanting to make a uh, some you know some sort of contribution to the french war effort mm-hmm. I, I I think this was just just a moment a combination of the time the composer the the the, the text and the resulting piece of music, just um, an incredibly, an incredible moment in music history, this piece. Where would it be? Um, I'm going to do it in my favourite, my, you know, in the, the place where I've had the most, the most rewarding experience as a performer is mm. in the Liszt Academy in Budapest, purely because of the warmth of the audience. And I think ultimately that's what we're really looking for, isn't it? It's, it's being with an audience that, that, that radiates this sense that they need what you have to offer. It's not like it is. It's a great it, answer. It's nothing at all like doing a concert. In, that the, you're not worried about the acoustic as much as you are about the, the acoustic's great. It's a great. It's a great place. You know. Oh, that's where people people typically head to acoustic. So so as I, I really yeah I well, like the, that. I mean, you know, what makes the audience that way? Part of it is that you know you know you give a concert in America. You know, people. You know, people's lives are so full. Mm-hmm. You know that you know people are thinking about you know, you know, people, you know they're, they're thinking about tomorrow. They're yeah. thinking about what's what's waiting for them on 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 the DVR mm-hmm. when they get home, or you know, you know, or the, or the lovely meal they're about to have, or the you know, the, there's, there's there's just so many dimensions to life. It's quite hard to to. It's quite hard to spend a week thinking about a choral concert that you're going to go to and build your sense, build build yourself up. You know, with a sense that you really need this, that this mm-hmm. is going to nourish your soul. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I've, my, I, I've had this experience a lot of times, especially in Hungary, but most especially in Budapest, that 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 the that the people who come to 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 concerts that I've done there have radiated the sense that they need it. They don't just want it. They don't just appreciate it. That they need it. And and. You know, and and that they're f- and that as you're as you're giving it to them, they're feeding on it, and it's you know, and it and it's changing them, and and that in turn changes you, and um, that's you know, I've had that experience a few times, been lucky enough, you know, these. So it's all... been a consistent feeling that yeah. you had there. Yeah. Wow. So, figure men in the list academy. I've no idea what the what 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 the Hungarians are going to make of this of this French piece, uh-huh. but I, I know I I hope they will like it. But I think that that'll be. That's my answer. I hope it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not your last concert, but yeah. I hope it happens. Yeah. All right, well, um, what is the best way for Choir Nation to connect with you if they would like to um, you know, follow your career? Or, or is there a... Do you have, are you, are you have an, do you have an online presence? I don't have a website, if that's what you, you mean. You don't? I know. I we mean, should you know, fix that. It, okay. Well, I've just never met the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my early music group Galacantus does have a website, okay, um, and um, which is but it's Galacantus dot com. But it's you know it's it's it's, it's not the greatest. It's not the greatest thing Musician, on the web. Musicians kind of suck at keeping <laughs> at, at keeping up an online presence. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, you know, but I I think um, well you know maybe this will this will this will be the spare I need to 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 do this to do this more more properly. You know, through the through my work here at Princeton, we we do a better job at PrincetonGleeClub.com, um, um, and 
but I am I am eminently findable personally, mm-hmm. and uh, and I hope relatively responsive. You know, mm-hmm. um, to w- when I can. Is a good email for you if anybody wants to G- email you? Gcrouch@princeton.edu is that how you found me? I think that's that's. A, oh, I just found you through Amanda. Oh, okay. Well, gcrouch@princeton.edu is a it's a good way to find me. Okay. I'm you know I'm uh, I'm pretty Facebook friendly, and um, my only music group Galacantus is galacantus.com, and the core program here at Princeton is princetongleeclub.com. Okay. There you go. Wonderful. Well, Choir Nation is even more ready to step up to their podium with purpose. So thank you very much for being my guest today. All right. That's it. Thanks, Brian. Of course. Of course. Thank you for listening to Choir Ninja Show with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing. I thought that was funny. Did you like that?